0: Day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. This is my weekly rant and rave and guest interview show with the Western Standard. We would run live every Wednesday and then it runs on a number of different channels uh, throughout Canada, uh, higher up on the dial there, including the Cowboy Network and Wild TV and some other areas. So thank you for taking some time out in a summer day to Check out what's going on, and there is a lot going on today. I got a guest coming on; is author Mark Milkey of the uh, Aristotle Foundation for Public Policy. He's going to talk about Justin Trudeau, and uh, you know, quite a difference between Justin Trudeau and his father Pierre Trudeau with their views on uh, individual liberty and the importance of it. Of course, Justin's not one for much uh, nuanced political thought or philosophy, so not too shocking. There's, there's quite a difference between the two, and with how they approach things. Uh, As well, of course, lots of news and other such good stuff. So I'm going to get started with talking about something that kind of surprised me. I guess it shouldn't. Uh, And that's with ESG. You know, we hear about ESG a lot in the news, and uh, there's been a lot of talk about it. And it sounds like finally it's it's an investment fad, and it's coming to an end. The whole concept of ESG, I mean, it was flawed from the beginning. So ESG, if people aren't familiar with it, stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And it's been pushed by extreme woke activists for years. It's some of a catch-all term. And they use it to try and pressure corporations into prioritizing social activism over actually pursuing a profit for shareholders. The term ESG originated from a 2004 United Nations report. Yeah, the UN. Shocking, isn't it? But it was claiming companies should set aside a profit focus. And if they just took on enough environmental and social justice work it would be beneficial to the public and to the companies themselves. Now, The concept is utter pie-in-the-sky bunk, and despite nearly two decades of effort on this crap, it's finally failed. I mean, corporations only exist for one thing, and that's to make a return for the shareholders. They're not charities, nor should they be expected to be. I mean, while good corporate citizenship can aid with a company's public reputation and help build brand loyalty, ESG goes well beyond that with its demands on corporations. Profit is supposed to be considered a secondary goal to ESG. Now, the ESG movement, I mean, is rather insidious and compelling. It's really backdoor socialism. Rather than trying to directly convince companies to embrace woke policies that run counter to the company's own objectives, they would target instead things like large asset, ma- asset management companies and get them to push the ESG. Basically saying, don't invest in it unless they have a high ESG score. Now, BlackRock, BlackRock is a company you probably heard of now and then, and it was a leader in pushing ESG upon companies. It was kind of thought that even if consumers don't really care about ESG targets, the companies would embrace ESG policies if they were strangled from incoming investment by these uh, management uh, you know, companies. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink, the name sort of works, doesn't it, spearheaded such efforts. Now, Fink now is distancing himself from the entire ESG movement. He whoa, whoa, okay, okay, no, that's enough of that. We're not going to do this anymore. Yeah, but he did a lot of damage on the way up Because shareholders will only put up with so much They want a return on any investments they entrusted to these asset managers And they couldn't care less if the company has unisex washrooms Or sets its emission targets above and beyond those required by legislation They're demanding investments in profitable companies rather than woke ones Most companies can't be both retailers. I mean, they can't pay the insane living wages demands being made by woke people while maintaining competitive pricing, of course, because then they scream about the inflation when the costs go up. And then, of course, adding environmental regulations doesn't win any government love because the governments just keep piling on new regulations on top of the old ones. Appeasing the woke in the name of ESG has only managed to make profits smaller. Now, some ESG-inspired idiocy will go down in business history, such as the Budweiser debacle with trans activist Dylan Mulvaney. Even a first-year marketing student should have seen the consequences coming when Budweiser decided to take on the flamboyant Mulvaney as a brand ambassador. Budweiser had over a century of carefully cultivated market development under its belt. The brand loyalty for Budweiser was the envy of the very competitive beer industry, and it was shattered by this bizarre choice to go down the trans activist rabbit hole. How could somebody have thought for a moment that a market demographic made up predominantly of cowboys and blue-collar workers would want their favorite beer associated with a colorful trans activist? And it's not a question of tolerance. It's just knowing your market. The thing is, the luminary who came up with this idea to bring Mulvaney on as a brand ambassador wasn't thinking of reality. She was wrapped up in the mythical world of ESG. It might take a generation for Budweiser sales to recover to where they were only last year. Nobody chooses their consumer products based on ESG scores. Investors don't pick investment vehicles based on ESG scores either. The reality is finally coming home to roost. And as the old saying goes, go woke, go broke. And it's proving accurate. Silicon Valley Bank, they went broke and they went whole hog with ESG. In his 2022 ESG report, yeah, an ESG report. The company said it seeks directors on its board with knowledge of or experience with key risk oversight and risk management functions to help oversee the dynamic risks we face. Yeah, Trudeau style word salad, ESG garbage and it led to the collapse of the bank. The list of ESG failures is growing. well ESG language though is finally disappearing from corporate boardrooms. One of the dumbest and most social most expensive social trends in human history is finally just coming and gone. Unfortunately, though, as with supporters of communism, the supporters of ESG just think it hasn't been done right yet. They will rebrand the concept and try and push it through another way. In the end, though, money talks and ESG walks. So let's celebrate at least the end of this incarnation of backdoor socialism, guys. ESG is a thing of the past and, uh, well, let's see what they turn the next efforts into. All right, that's what got me started today. Let's get on and see what else is happening out there in the news and check in with Dave Naylor in our newsroom there. Hey, Dave, how's it going?
1: It's going great, Corey. How are you? Yeah,
0: pretty good. It's nice out.
1: It is. It's absolutely beautiful day, and uh, Environment Canada has issued a uh, heat warning for Calgary, so so that's all good. Uh, so we are talking earlier, I understand you now have a fool, foolproof plan on protecting your bees from bears. Yeah. There's that
0: beautiful video. I mean, the inspiration you can find online. For those who don't know, I keep bees, and and yes, a a bear wiped out my bees last year.
1: (laughs) I've been inspired by this guy. You gotta watch that. Look at that. That's just stuff of nightmares. I am going to
0: go hit Home Depot or one of those stores, maybe uh, Walmart, wherever, get those cheap, motion-activated, weird Halloween decorations, and I am going to surround my beehive with those uh, this fall. And, uh, you know, it should give the bears nightmares, and maybe even uh, any inquisitive neighbors might stay away.
1: That's true, but you think it's going to scare a one-ton grizzly bear, do you?
0: Well, it's worth a try.
1: I'm trying every other way to
0: stop that thing rather than shooting it.
1: That's true. It's got any Canada Day plans, Corey? You going to have a barbecue?
0: No, no. I'll be taking it pretty easy for Canada Day, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I got to run a stampede, actually. Jane's got some sort of barn quilt thing she's got to put up down there.
1: Oh, that's right. Well, if you were planning on hosting a barbecue, you better uh, – you haven't bought your meat yet. You better get ready to dig deep in your wallet uh, because uh, beef prices are set to soar. Uh, that's our top story on the website at the moment, Corey, uh, our agriculture energy business expert. Uh, Sean Polzer says the uh, uh, number of cows in Canada is down to uh, levels not seen uh, since the 1990s. And uh, that's why the price of your Canada Day steak is going to uh, uh, send shockwaves through your wallet. Other stuff we've got going on. uh, We've got a story on the... how the Saskatchewan government hired a uh, advertising agency to encourage people to get vaccinated during COVID. And the, the agency admits they used fear tactics and scare tactics uh, to try and convince uh, people in Saskatchewan to uh, uh, get jabbed. Uh, Alberta energy minister, uh, uh, Brian Jean, today's announced that uh, uh, last month, uh, Alberta oil production increased 4%. Uh, it's good for the, uh, the provincial treasury also means, interestingly, that Alberta itself was the fourth biggest uh, oil producer in the entire world uh, last month. Uh, we've got a story from uh, Barry Cooper, uh, the esteemed Dr. Barry Cooper, on uh, the looming threat of uh, laws coming in where it will make it illegal to be a residential school uh, denial denier. And uh, a very disturbing story this morning from uh, Jonathan Bradley, our reporter, uh, the ICE team investigators launched a massive uh, three-month investigation where they arrested eight Calgary men, uh, sorry, seven Calgary men and one other man from southern Alberta. One million pictures of child born. Uh, it's just sickening, Corey, uh, just absolutely sickening. So uh, that's uh, the stuff we've got at the moment. You can read about uh, NASA's plan to uh, start mining on the moon. Uh, apparently, they want more than cheese uh, out of there, and uh, uh, and uh, Norway, even though uh, you know everybody is, or Canada is backing away from uh, making uh, investments in the oil industry, uh, the government of Norway announced 18 billion in uh, new projects. So Canada's going one way, Norway's going another, and uh, I think I'd rather be on the Norway train, uh, Corey. I hear you
0: there. I mean, they got a terrible taste in food, but they're at least pragmatic with their energy resources.
1: That's right and a heritage savings trust fund that uh, uh, dwarfs ours
0: yeah absolutely all right well thanks for the update Dave uh, some good news and bad news in that whole mix there I guess it's good that they caught those those sick monsters with the child porn stuff but it's just sad that we got to keep hearing those reports of it
1: yeah they they come out way too often it's uh it's, it's unbelievable
0: yeah all right well thanks and I'll uh check in with you after the show Dave thanks Corey That is our news editor, Dave Naylor. Yes, he's in there in that newsroom and uh, curating and making sure all those good, interesting and important stories get up there on the Western Standard site. This is where I nag you to help us pay the bills. Guys, the reason we can do it is that we have subscribers. $9.99 a month, $100 a year. You can get full unfettered access to all of those stories past the paywall. And it helps fund things like this show, those stories, having reporters all over the place. So, uh, you know, if you haven't subscribed yet, guys, get on there and do it. And uh, if you have already, uh, thank you. I mean, we really do appreciate it. It, it, This is how we're going to beat the subsidy wars and and stuff's going on out there. So, uh, yeah, let's see what this uh, this thing with the uh, drilling uh, on, um, you know, on the moon. I noticed somebody else asking about a timeline on that, one of the commenters. Uh, Yeah, and that's, uh, they're looking, I guess a rig is going to test the soil on the Artemis mission of 2024. So not too, too far ahead. But I mean, uh, we'll see how long it is before they get to the point where anything looks financially viable to actually dig Way the heck up there. But who knows? It's interesting stuff. It's certainly science fiction sort of thing. We talk about a, a last frontier for us to get into. What I'm wondering, though, of course, is is how long is it going to take before environmentalists lose it and say we have to leave the moon pristine because there aren't uh, an infinite number of them in the rest of the universe out there. So if we don't do that, you know, the world will end. What if we change the climate on the moon? I mean, that, that would be tragic, wouldn't it? Could you imagine a heat wave on the moon or a cold snap? I mean, all the moon life would be wiped out. Oh, it would be terrible. So don't worry, we can be assured, if somebody's got something in mind that's innovative, interesting, and has potential, somebody's going to oppose it. And uh, chances are, uh, somebody in Canada will support that. You know, they think they, 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 they was talking about. So Norway, yeah, Norway's been expanding its, its North Sea work. Uh, people keep pointing to them as this, this great example, as a world citizen and an energy producer and things like that. Well, that's fine. But Canada, we're punching ourselves in the knackers. We're shutting in our stuff. It sounds like Alberta increased its oil production, and that's great, but that's despite the efforts of the federal government. It's despite Trudeau trying his hardest to make energy as unviable as possible in Canada. Meanwhile, Norway is smart enough to say, hey, world demand is going up. It's growing. People want oil and gas, whether they like it or not. It's like the ESG thing. You can talk and virtue signal all you want. When it comes to actually hitting the light switch and having the lights come on, that's all that matters in the end. And Norway realizes that. You know, people talk about that massive fund that Norway has. Why didn't Alberta do that? Well, because Norway doesn't have Quebec. It's a big difference. It's a big anchor hanging around the neck of Alberta. We've had to pay, of course, billions and billions in equalization. Anytime we we make money, we get it uh, drained out of us to keep feeding our eastern uh, parasitic cousins there. So, you know, it's it's not fair to make a, a direct comparison between Norway's uh, resource management strategies and, and Alberta's. They're, they're, they're completely different. And they have different challenges ahead of them. Either way, hopefully, maybe, you know, with the, the pragmatism, the expansion uh, coming from Norway with the, expanding their, their conventional energy exploration might inspire some of our decision makers in Canada to realize, yes, we're getting left behind. We've got a You know, sure, eventually, eventually, maybe in a century, oil and gas will no longer be used. But that just tells us, well, let's get it out and use it while we can then and while it's viable. So maybe that'll sink in with a a few folks. Hard to say, though, because the folks in charge aren't the sharpest knives in the drawer. So uh, let's get on to talking about the head knife in the drawer in Ottawa. And that's Justin Trudeau. And uh, author Mark Milkey has written a column recently on some of the differences between the. The junior Trudeau and the senior Trudeau with their attitudes when it comes to individual liberties.
2: So let's bring in Mark. Hey, Mark, how's it going? I'm great, Corey. Thanks for having me on. Happy Almost Canada Day.
0: It's almost there, and yeah, it's kind of a good time to to talk about this. And and it kind of ties into your 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 last book there in a sense. I mean, uh, you know, identity and and individual rights, things like that. I mean, they they aren't mutually exclusive. We can respect the individual while still having a collective identity, right?
2: Well, the collective, it's important to make distinctions. And in the 1867 project, I quote Pierre Trudeau, of all people, on these distinctions. Um, Collective action, you know, I'm I'm an individual guy, you know, rights kind of guy. But obviously there's a point for the collective, if you mean government, at some point, um, ostensibly to do things that as individuals or, you know, private businesses can't be done. Right. Um, I mean, hard, only hardcore libertarians think, uh, you know, maybe the trans Canada should be privatized or something in the highway. But uh, most people grasp or get that, you know, there's a need for government. You know, you need government for courts. You need governments for armies, uh, you know, to fight the Nazis in the 1940s, that sort of thing. Um, so but the point is the collective exists um, for that. But. They have to treat us all equally. The government has to treat us all equally as individuals. That's the beauty of 500 years of enlightenment thought, and, and especially in the Anglosphere, where he said the individual is worth something. Treat the individual equally, morally equal, which means what? Which means the state shouldn't be saying to me or you, you're going to be treated differently because of your skin color, your ethnicity, where you were born, your gender. Now, it took a long time to get there probably till the 1950s and 1960s, really, uh, in parts of of the world, or at least in the Western world, rather, especially in the United States. Canada got there before that. But we got there, and and it's crystallized in Martin Luther King's famous 1963 speech that he wanted to see a world, in in the case of his country, where his children would be judged on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. took a long time to get there. We have reversed, um, and we shouldn't have. So people are, again, being treated as something other than individuals in law and policy. Uh, but that's a long way of saying, yeah, look, the collective exists. That's, that's government in essence. Uh, but it shouldn't be allowed to uh, take a whack at you or me or anyone else based on irrelevant characteristics.
0: Yeah, well, and, and the, a totally different uh, philosophy. I mean, aside from the name Trudeau, and I guess the amount of loathing Western Canada has for him, uh, Justin Trudeau is quite different from his father. I, I mean, Pierre Trudeau... Uh, among his many flaws or whatnot, though, he's still a classic liberal in a, in a number of ways, like things such as getting government out of the bedrooms of the nation. That was, I think, some, some fine work on his part. I mean, to give a little credit, we're doing. I don't give a lot to Trudeau's. But that was important. I was recognized. These are adults. These are individuals. Their rights are paramount. And, and it's not our place to, to regulate that. Whereas uh, Justin Trudeau seems to be getting increasingly intrusive into the lives of individuals and telling us how we're supposed to live.
2: Right. Uh, Look, Pierre Trudeau was wrong in many things. Um, And, you know, to be fair to the historical record, he probably introduced a little bit of, you know, collective, you know, group rights type thinking, you know, in in part in the Constitution because of the affirmative action clause or, you know, the, the equity clause, as people call it. I call it the racial and, you know, gender discrimination clause. Um, But, you know, Pierre Trudeau at least would argue he was consistent when it came to Quebec and and ethnic collective rights, right, that the the French could discriminate against the English. And it's why he was such a fervent opposition, you know, oppositional figure, um, you know, to to Quebec ethno-nationalism. But you're right, Justin Trudeau has almost none of that, as far as I can tell. He really believes that Canada is some sort of weird post-national state where you don't have any core convictions. And also that it's the government's role to discriminate against people uh, based on, on um, the fact that, you know, if you measure different groups, they have different outcomes. But that's silly. Um, you know, the best performing cohorts in Canada are, you know, usually from East Asia. Or if you're, you know, of Indian um, extraction, your ancestors, and I mean as in you know, India in India, uh, not indigenous Um, And there are reasons for that, higher education levels, um, career choices, that sort of thing. Um, You have different outcomes between different groups because different choices, different educational levels, different geography, different histories. Um, Very little of it has to do with racism these days. But Justin Trudeau wants to micromanage outcomes to make us all equal, so to speak. Um, That's silly. As as the, the famous American economist Thomas Sowell once said, People, the same people in, in, in a family, brothers and sisters who grow up will have vastly different outcomes, even though they have the same environment. Um, you can't always blame different outcomes on racism, but that's what's driving a lot of this these days. Um, and again, Justin Trudeau, unlike his father, Pierre Trudeau, Trudeau understood uh, that, you know, it's very dangerous to give collectives power. Um, so you give a collective power based on its religion or language or ethnicity, to lord it over another collective again. The best example in Canada is is what French ethno nationalists do to minorities, including the English. Well, that that's dangerous. Uh, it's it's a liberal, uh, but it's also dangerous because people eventually clash over such things.
0: Well, it's it. and when we talk about, I guess, um, just I mean unity. It's a term we hear a lot all the time, but it, it, we seem to be, I think. I see more signs of regionalism and regional division and and, uh, even division within the regions now that identity politics are really sinking in. The the country is actually more fractured than ever, rather than than working in a a common uh, direction.
2: It is. um, Maybe provincial divisions have always been there, right? Uh, The West, you know, Quebec, Atlantic Canada. I grew up in British Columbia. When the Charlottetown Accord was on that referendum in 1992, I can tell you most British Columbians, even more than Albertans, voted against it because they didn't like the idea of Quebec having um, special status, uh, which it's got all, all, you know, it's got all, all but a name now. Um, so the divisions, I think, have exa- been there, but they've exacerbated. And now the federal government and others have brought in divisions based on color, based on ethnicity, based on gender. Um, this is the wrong direction to go. What's what's a more positive way to think about Canada on Canada, or what's what's a better way to go? Well, it's the old-fashioned, what, what is known as classical liberal, but today might be considered small C conservative ideas that you don't that, that you celebrate people based on who they are as an individual. You don't discriminate discriminate against someone based on irrelevant characteristics. And what that means is you celebrate the good ideas out there, um, you know, the, the the rights of the individual. I mean. Classical liberalism that came from John Stuart Mill, Mary Wollstonecraft and the rights of women um, can be be adopted by anyone. These days, we see it in Hong Kong. When Hong Kongers protest against Beijing and the crackdowns in Hong Kong over the last several years, you would often see them raising the British flag. Why? They understood that the British inheritance, for example, is about the rights of the individual, about capitalism, about the rule of law. These are ideas, and they're good ideas. Anybody can unite around those, and we should. There's bad ideas that people can unite around, and they have in history. There's, there's bad ways to unite, and it's you know only my religion or my skin color or what have you, and that's rife throughout history, which is why we shouldn't repeat it. But for sure, Canadians can and should unite around laudable ideas, that, you know, various founders had a glimpse of and pushed to some degree, uh, but certainly in the 20th century, starting in the 1950s, Canadians were supposed to be united around the idea of the equality of the individual um, and other, other beneficial aspects of modern nation state, capitalism and the rest of it. That's what we should actually unite around these days. Great ideas, not identities.
0: Well, yeah, and we seem to have some some, I guess, culture wars going on in, in, in Canada. I mean, we've seen some of that just recently in Calgary. City Hall didn't understand why a minor move such as getting rid of fireworks blew up the way it did. But it was because of the reasoning for it. I mean, the bottom line is there are some people who feel that Canada Day is supposed to be a day where we look at our shoes in shame. It's supposed to be when we're supposed to dwell on the negatives that happened historically within Canada. And there ha- certainly have been some negatives. Rather than taking one day though to say, hey, we can still Celebrate the positives while acknowledging the negatives. I mean, they, they, they treat it as if it's mutually exclusive and, and it's I think it's really making Canadians depressed about their own history.
2: Well, that's one of the things we tried to approach in the 1867 project, right? The new book that, you know, I and 19 other people wrote. We, we tried to give people a sense of Canadian history with nuance with balance with informed history, and also to kind of change the the way some people view Canadian history. I think the majority of Canadians think we should feel proud of Canada. Uh, They may not, you know, and they're not part of the the minority of the chattering classes that thinks we should cancel Canada. So I think most Canadians get that we should celebrate or cherish Canada. They may not fully conceptually have worked out why or or why the, you know, those who want to cancel Canada are, are completely in the wrong. And so what we're trying to do in the 1867 project is make people think um, about Canada. And the best analogy I can give you, Corey, is Canada and other civilizations are like oak trees, right? They take time to grow, to build. They're not perfect. Um, In history, you've seen what I would, the analogy would be diseased limbs. Women didn't have the right to vote. Indigenous folk were denied the right to vote in the late 1800s by parliament, finally given it in 1960 under John Diefenbaker, uh, that parliament. Those were, you know, the bad policies were diseased limbs that were right to be pruned. But that doesn't mean the project was a bad idea, that the oak tree, which shelters people, is a bad idea. Uh, Canada, as, as an oak tree, has sheltered tens of millions of people over the decades, unlike, say, Chairman Mao's China in 1960 in the Cultural Revolution. While Canada is giving the vote, rightly, to indigenous Canadians, um, Chairman Mao is persecuting his own people and, and causing mass starvation and famine because of his ideological Marxist beliefs. So um, it's, it's not just that no nation is perfect. That's obvious, and no person is perfect. The key question is are certain ideas preferable? When Hong Kongers celebrate the ideas of freedom, the rule of law, capitalism, what they're saying is we prefer these to what's north of the border in Beijing. And it doesn't matter if those ideas originated with John Stuart Mill and others in the 19th century in London. What matters is that they're a good idea and anybody can adopt them. You don't have to be, um, you know, a white person to be an Indian and say capitalism is better than socialism. Um, So, you know, you can take some of what the British left behind um, and leave what you don't like. And and that's part of Canada. And that's why we should celebrate Canada. We got some great ideas. We've had some great ideas for a very long time. We abolished slavery before almost every other country on earth. We shouldn't look down to our shoes and be ashamed of that. Slavery was once considered normal. It wasn't. It was evil, but it was considered normal. And Canada got rid of it almost uh, before any other country on the planet. So um, rather than be ashamed of sort of Canada's past, or it's like you have to ask the question, why did we break away from that? a faulty thinking on slavery. Well, there were reasons for that, which I won't go into now, but they matter. And that's why we should cherish Canada and not cancel it. So that's kind of, which is the subtitle of the 1867 project. Yeah. Well, and so with what we've
0: got going on out of Ottawa though, and mixed signals almost coming from the prime minister, but some of that is, I mean, is it a matter of it being politically expedient for him to play these politics of division and identity, or, or has he really got actually some inherent core feelings, you know, that, that, that mold his ideology that way. Cause I mean, the first one perhaps can be changed if it's entrenched in him, he, he might uh, continue like this for the rest of his term.
2: Well, maybe both. It's, it's part good politics. He thinks, right. If he tells people that look, um, you know, privilege is a real thing. White privilege privileges um, that it plays well in certain communities, not all. Uh, so it's partly politics. Um, But it's partly probably sincere belief. And I wouldn't rule that out either. But he's mistaken. Again, to quote Thomas Sowell, who uh, I mentioned, I I think, in my previous book, but also this one, the 1867 project. um, Thomas Sowell tells a great story of how, look, if you look in history, the Italians dominate the fishing fleets around the world. Uh, The Swiss don't. Is it because the world was systemically biased against the Swiss? No. The Italians have coastlines, so you would expect over decades and centuries that the Italians to dominate the fishing industry around the world in their fleets. Um, it's the same with you know, simplistic looks that say, again, outcomes and incomes today. There's a reason, reason why indigenous Canadians are lower than, say, other Canadians, um, and why you know, those of Japanese, Chinese, or Taiwanese, or Korean ancestry at the top of the income heap, because the latter are more educated. Um, their families are often more together, which matters to stability and, and, and other reasons. So uh, indigenous folk uh, often are in rural locations, often on reserves, far from opportunities, um, career-wise and education-wise. So there, there's reasons. Um, you know. And I think Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, simplistically looks at differences in outcomes and goes, well, the reason must be due to racism. Why would you be so monocausal, Mr. Prime Minister?
0: Yeah, I mean, there can be, as you said, a number of factors, I guess, before closing out. I mean, it's a very interesting book, The 1867 Project, and you've got a a number of our authors contributing towards that. So it's an anthology or collection of essays, I guess. Uh, Before I let you go, then, where where can people find your
2: book and and, uh, get themselves a copy? The 1867 Project is available on Amazon. You can also check out AristotleFoundation.org. We've got some excerpts and videos there, but Amazon will have The 1867 Project.
0: Great. And uh, just with the, with the uh, Aristotle, Aristotle Foundation, uh, so that's a, a think tank here you're, you're operating.
2: It's a new think tank that I and others have set up, about 30 senior fellows, a uh, great board of directors. And we've already been publishing some material, uh, including the 1867 project. But we set it up very simply to make people think.
0: Well, we need more people thinking, that's for sure. There's never uh, enough of that going on. Well, well, thank you very much for joining us again today, Mark. It's, it's good to see you, and uh, I appreciate your, your work with the book and the foundation. Is, is there anything you'd like to let the audience know before I let you go there?
2: Sure. I think we need a return to reason, uh, sensible democracy, and an old-fashioned word, civilization. And that's also what the Aristotle Foundation is about. So uh, buy the book, check out the website, and I think you'll be, uh, you'll be intrigued by what you see. So thank you.
0: Great. Excellent. So that was Mark Milkey, uh with the, yes, the 1867 Project. He's been the author of a whole number of other books. I still remember going way back to Tax Me, I'm Canadian. I remember rushing out to grab that. I believe it was in the 90s. It was a, a great book when he was with the, the Taxpayers Federation. So uh, check it out. There, there's always a lot of uh, common sense coming from Mr. Milky. So uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again soon, Mark. Thank you. Right, thanks. So, yes, lots to think about, you know, and, and and as I said, we need more thinkers, more people putting their ideas in, and and uh, I, I like that uh, statement he mono monocausal, you know, when you look at what, a complicated issue, outcomes, things like that, and then, uh, you know, if Trudeau just simplistically points at one cause, it could be a contributing cause, but there, there's a lot more to it. So, speaking of thinking a little harder, it's something I need to do now and then as well. Something I want to talk about before we go, I mean, well, I've still got a while before we go here, but... Uh, just getting on to where I, you know, rant a little bit. It's a lesson uh, I, I learned that I should know better just a couple of days ago. So I was on Twitter, as I commonly am. Those who know me, I spend a lot of time there. I find things there. You get good breaking news things There's not a great place for nuanced uh, discourse, though, and things. But you've got to watch it. you got to watch it on social media, of course. And the way I've said it before a lot of times is we've got more access to information than we've ever had in human history, but we've also got more access to B.S., than we've ever had before. So I saw a tweet a couple of days ago, it came up, it showed, uh, some of you who were on Twitter might have seen it, this big husky balding man with, uh, he's out there playing uh, rugby with a bunch of women, and he's running, and this Twitter story was saying that uh, apparently during a rugby team, this guy's identifying as trans, and he joined the woman's team, and three women got injured in, in a rugby match out in Ontario, because this great big husky man was among them playing, you know, rugby is a very physical game. This guy would have a, a a great advantage over, of course, people who are you know biologically women. And he was, you know, you can envision them him slamming them around like so many mannequins on the field or whatnot. But I was pretty outraged. I mean, this is nuts. This is. A, I was actually thinking I'm going to write a column on this because there's so many lines getting crossed. It's just getting so ridiculous with the trans world with with, with pushing. On at least the activist end of things to the point of actually putting women at risk now. I mean, my thoughts were this is a guy who is um, probably somebody just wants to abuse women. I mean, he's not even trying. He doesn't even look like he's dressed like a woman or anything like that. But once I start researching, I couldn't, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It's just a picture out of context with some text. But I I, I cannot, if it did happen, it's been scrubbed from history everywhere. There's no rugby league in Ontario saying this happened. There's no team members saying this happened on either team. There's no news reports that this happened. There's no eyewitness accounts saying that this happened. It didn't happen. And I fell for it. I tweeted a couple of things with my usual rage tweeting, you know, saying how ridiculous this is and how, you know, this is going to lead to broken necks with women. And, and, uh, well, it won't because it didn't happen. Now, guys, it doesn't matter how outrageous things are getting. We don't need to go to the juicy, smaller level of making up controversy. There's enough real ones happening already. We discredit ourselves when we put stuff like that out there on social media. And uh, yeah, Tracy's saying it was on Sky News. Yeah, it's getting around, but I can't find evidence of it. I can't find it anywhere. So uh, if somebody can find real evidence, this is showing, that's what I mean, Sky News, this is going international. I saw some heavy-duty Twitter accounts also of, of, of media personalities were sharing this thing, but it's to my knowledge, it didn't happen. So this hurts things, and it, it hurt, I mean, it's Twitter. I'm not going to heavily research everything I retweet or share or talk about. And The only reason I dug deeper was because I was considering writing a column on it. And of course, when I'm going to write and commit this to print or, you know, digital print through the Western Standard or wherever else I might be writing, I want to make sure I've got all the facts done. I want to find out where this happened, who it was, what's the name of the people involved, all of that. None of it's out there, guys. Not a bit of it. And it's not new. You know, stuff, like I said, being spread on social media, it happens all the time. We can all fall for it now and then too, but the responsibility does land on us. See, this is where I get worried too. This is part of the stuff that people like Trudeau used to say, see, see, this is why we have to control conversation. This is why we have to control social media. This is why we have to get in there. No, no, we have to be responsible for ourselves. We have to fact check our own material. We have to look into this stuff. Because if we don't, it invites them to take that on. And we know that they're only going to fact check What's practical for them. So uh, either way, I'm just saying I made a mistake. Not in a huge way, at least any more so than a lot of other people. It was just Twitter. I retweeted it, made a couple statements. I even got rid of the tweets afterwards. There's no sense spreading more rage. we got enough things to be outraged with. I mean, part of the reality, too, is things are so ridiculous and outrageous with, with the extreme end of the trans uh, activism that it was believable. I mean, we see it with that that uh, Leah Thomas, this, this what, six foot two man who's a, a swimmer who's just blowing women out of the water, you know, pun intended, on the swimming races throughout the United States. I mean, again, not even trying. This isn't somebody who's presenting as a woman. He's got all his junk and his parts uh, intact, and, and he's just out there defeating women in, in swimming pools. But as outrageous as that is, it doesn't put them at physical risk. It's, it's still ridiculous, and the guy shouldn't be in there. But the rugby story was different. This was a, a person on a physio, you know a physical sport that, that theoretically, theoretically would have really hurt somebody if that was happening. But again, as I said, as far as I can find, it did not happen. So we need to watch ourselves when we're on social media. That's all, you know, all of us, including me. And I mean there's you know real damage can get done. I have a fair-sized Twitter following. And sharing and tweeting and getting on with those things can spread a lot of mistrust or or anger into an area for something that didn't happen, and then it's just not good. So, speaking of the massive media in general, let's have a look at that. You know, Rodriguez, our heritage minister, federally, basically it's looking like Facebook isn't going to back down, guys. They're going to start blocking news links out there. Google might follow soon, too, based on C18, you know, which is a shakedown. It's basically trying to steal money from social media companies to... Uh, subsidized preferred media companies by the government. It's, it's a disgusting policy move and uh, they're not having any of it and I don't blame them a bit. You don't have to, because I see some people, oh, screw Meta, to heck with Facebook, I hate them. I don't care. You don't have to like them. You don't have to like Zuckerberg or any of them. But it doesn't mean they deserve to be robbed by the government and have the money given over to other um, um, you know, media outlets. It's, it's, not, it's not right. Don't like Facebook? Don't go there. Don't like Meta whatever. Don't like Google? Don't use it. Use Bing. (laughs) But uh, this bill is terrible. And so what is uh, the response from Rodriguez? Well, he said, we're going to dip in more and we will just make sure to keep pouring more money into the media outlets to cover any money lost uh, if, if Facebook and all those block the links to it. They just won't back down on this battle. This is bad, guys. It's bad for news in general. And yes, it could very much hurt the Western standard. Something I'm going to put out for some self, you know, serving advice. But it's true. Sign up for email access to your favorite media outlet, guys. I know you get spammed. You get all sorts of, uh, you know, emails chronically from news organizations. Once you got they, their name got your list, you keep getting them. But it's important because that way they can reach you with news without having to go through those social media platforms, and we can still get the stories to you and uh, still share these things because we don't know where this is going to end we don't know where it's going to finish and you just might not be able to find the sites as easily i mean they're always going to be there the site's there all the social media platforms do is funnel the traffic to them that's all they don't carry the content that's where a lot of people are mistaken oh facebook's carrying and making money off the content no they aren't no they aren't they're just providing a link likewise with google but it's going to be a lot harder to find them and it's going to reduce traffic and if we reduce traffic we reduce the advertising revenue we can get. And that means we can't provide as good a news as we did, or we don't get as many new subscribers. It's it's just bad, bad, bad all around. And uh, unfortunately, I think it's only going to get worse before it gets better. We're we're seeing in the news now that Post Media and uh, the company who owns the Toronto Star, you know, 2 big, uh, the, the remaining, you know, of the few media giants left in Canada, and they're all losing money hand over fist, are talking about merging now. So then we'll just have one big losing entity. I imagine it'll be easier to get the government welfare checks in. But uh, it won't fix media, unfortunately. It's just a bigger version of the broken model. We need to let legacy media die. We need to let it go or evolve. I'm not celebrating the lost jobs. I'm not celebrating the loss of so many. There are many, many good journalists. I mean, loads of them out there in, in legacy media outlets, or they were. But it's changed. The whole media... You know, platform, the way it's done is different. And these guys are holding on to outdated, obsolete models. And they either have to adapt and scale down and get better, or they just got to go away. Subsidizing them, pouring tax dollars into them, or stealing money from social media giants and giving it to them. That won't save them. That just puts off the inevitable at best. But it also harms. The smaller, up-and-coming outlets like us, or the Western Standard, or True North, or Epic Times, Post Millennial, all those other ones—they get hurt because there's still only so much market. It's a tougher market now. We're in a battle for information, but like I said, you know, kind of in a long, circular way, we have to make sure we fact-check our own information, and get it out there. Because when when BS starts spreading, that's one of their favorite ways to make an excuse to get in there and interfere. the sharing of information online and uh, we got to check ourselves so when you see something and you find out that uh it's baloney going around call it out call it out online shut it down because uh you know it it just gives them more reason to intervene and we do not want that because they won't intervene for the sake of your truth or or learning they'll intervene for their own sake we know that the government is self-serving speaking of self-serving jerks let's look at uh, the suzuki foundation yeah, they're, they're taking to the airwaves, it says, to tell the public that the liquefied natural gas industry is bad. You know, see, this is why we need independent media. We need to report and counter the baloney that comes out of nutcases like David Suzuki and his, and his gross foundation. You know, the world is burning a lot of few, high emission fuel. Most of the world's burning it, whether it's wood or coal or animal dung. A lot of the developing world, they're using whatever they have to liquefied natural gas is one of the best developments to help mitigate and reduce the emissions. No, it doesn't eliminate them, but it reduces them. It's far less damaging than the other forms. But we've got lunatics like the Suzuki Foundations and lunatics like Justin Trudeau who are saying there's no market for liquid natural gas, even though we've got Countries asking, begging almost, for the export of things like liquid natural gas. The demand is there, but we're not allowing ourselves to fill it. Other countries are filling it. The United States is making a great deal of money exporting liquid natural gas to places like Germany. Canada, on the other hand, has spent decades, still hasn't got a single drop of LNG off the coast yet. Eventually, it looks like the Kitimat project might come into operation, but I'm at a point where I'll believe it when I see it. And in the meantime, while billions are being invested, while years of fighting over the coastal gas link pipeline have gone on, and it's getting close to completion where they can finally get a return on this, where some money will come back, where you can sell some product or you can invest it back into your country – Clowns like the David Suzuki Foundation are saying we should shut down liquid natural gas. These extremists, and they are extremists, want us to economically kick ourselves in the balls. And we can't let them get away with it. We've got to push back. So again, getting self-serving as I like to do, that's why independent media is important. Because guys like him need to be countered. They need to be called out. We need the facts to get out there. Or... Guys like Trudeau will hide behind extremists like David Suzuki, and we will shut down viable energy alternatives, and is harming the entire world. Japan needs LNG. India needs LNG. Germany needs LNG. We have it, and we can't get it out of here. Is uh, Anita Salisbury uh, You know, a commenter saying, yeah, told Germany, you know, Trudeau told Germany there was no business, and then he gives, uh, no business for LNG, and he gives 13 billion tax dollars to a Volkswagen plant for batteries. Nobody wanted that. If it was financially viable, you don't need to give them that. It's not that complicated. But we've got an inept government. We've got a corrupted government. And uh, as long as they can control information, we're in a lot of trouble, guys. So we got to stand up for ourselves, make sure our information is accurate. And uh, yes, support your independent media outlets, guys. Because, I mean, you you look at that. You know, Toronto Star and Post Media are looking to merge. I mean, just a horrible thought. Just think of the giant, ugly, evil empire of media that'll become for a short time till they go broke, too. But they're going to pull a lot of subsidies and a lot of influence both ways from the government to that media organization, the Toronto Star. I mean, it's known as the Red Star. Come on, guys. And you want that to dominate the the media landscape even more than it already does? Scary stuff, actually. Very uh, distressing. So, I mean, we need to make sure we have the alternatives out there, guys, because uh, if we put it all into one basket with the, these sorts of uh, media outlets like that, we're all going to be in trouble. All right. Well, let's get a report on the agricultural front from uh, Jim Bousicum of marketplace commodities and, and see what's happening out there hey jim good to see you back again this week how you doing
3: hey doing great Corey. how are you doing today
0: i'm all right i'm all right always lots for me to rant on
3: there you go there you go all right so i'll start with um stats can acreage estimates came out this morning StatsCan uh collects these estimates going back into uh roughly the start of april so there can be some variants if farmers do change their seeding plans but uh you know, um, really, the short of it is on acreage estimates. If you look at a um, look at the changes year over year, is that the crops that, over the last year, were really high in price. So, if you take uh, durum wheat, spring wheat, all wheat classes, barley, uh, those acres are up roughly twenty percent uh, on all wheat, up around four percent on barley, and then some things that uh, maybe. Good prices, but not great prices the last year. Pulse crops uh, such as lentils and peas, relatively flat. Um, not uh, not bad pricing, but not as good as maybe what some of the other commodities are. Those acreages are down somewhere in 15 to 20% range. Oats, uh, also a big change year over year, um, down 35%. And then fun fact, um, I bet most people listening here don't know it, but farmers actually grow a lot of canary seed, of all things. There's roughly 300,000 acres of canary seed on the prairies. And uh, it's it's not a major commodity by any means, but I thought just fun fact to throw it out there. And uh, it's just really use for feeding birds. That's all it is. So, um, <clears throat> as far as commodities go for the rest, um, we're still right in the middle of a weather market Um Prices are extremely volatile. We're seeing a lot of price range on a week-to-week basis, on whether it rains or doesn't rain. Um, we've seen good parts of Western Canada get rains. Uh, Howbeit, there's still dry areas going along the eastern side, western side of Saskatchewan, eastern side of Alberta. That is, and uh, so we got a few more hoops to go through before we have another crop in the bin.
0: All right. Yeah. Just a, you know, a note before I let you go, then we did, I mean, it was a couple of weeks ago when we spoke and things were looking very, very bleak for, for the rain though. And we did, as you said, get some, at least in the Western end of Alberta. Was it too late or did it make a difference at least for some?
3: It wasn't too late. It, it, uh, there's certainly some individuals and in some areas that the rain came somewhat too late. It takes away the optimal production, but you can still come out with an average production in Western Canada. Hell be it, like I am aware of it. We talk to farmers all day long. There are areas in Alberta, especially, that are basically close to zero production right now. Likewise, there's some really, really good areas. And I know this is an Alberta show, but down in Montana, they have bumper crops coming up. Yeah. Montana is only 100 kilometers away from Lethbridge, so a lot of those grains, if they're feed quality, they can work their way up into Alberta. <laughs>
0: Well, it's the luck of the draw year by year, I guess. It's uh, Nobody ever said it was an
3: easy industry. There you go. So,
0: All right. Well, f- thanks for the updates, Jim. And, uh, well, let's keep hoping things to stay decently strong. And uh, we'll check in with you again soon.
3: All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank
0: you. So it was Jim Buzikum of Marketplace Commodities. Yeah, that, that whole agricultural market, like I said, Paradoxy saying the, the bird seed. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. I, I saw that in the list on the image, you know, cano- canary seed. I, I thought maybe it was a term for some sort of food crop, you know, and they call it that or something. But no, I guess it's, it's bird seed. I mean, somebody has got to grow somewhere, right? It makes sense. So, uh, Why not diversify your crops, grow something a little different out there? And yeah, it's small relative to the others, but when you're talking 300,000 acres, it's still a sizable chunk of of land out there. So, uh, well, cool. You know, the more you know. There you see, we got our little educational parts of this show. It's not just me rambling and twisting your ear with my my anger and uh, rage on things, though, I mean, we do dominate with a lot of that. Uh, Let's see what else we've got going on. Yeah, an interesting story with... uh, Canada Day approaching, uh, the citizenship. You know, so we put out a thing. Uh, the citizenship survey. If you want to become a citizen of Canada, you have to answer a bunch of questions about, you know, the the country. And we were asking them around the newsroom a little bit. Dave was asking them and. And uh, because this survey found 1,500 Canadians uh, that only 23% would actually pass the citizenship test. These are people already here based on answers to 10 randomly selected questions. And he was asking those questions that I couldn't get them either. I'd fail the citizenship test, I think, if I had to to go through it. You know, it's uh, important to have these tests, obviously. And I suspect committed uh, new Canadians are going to read, you know, and study and and be very careful. And they'll make sure to pass these tests. But the homegrown Canadians... I guess we're lapsing or lagging on our own history. We we aren't as well educated on the nation as uh, the new Canadians coming in are. So uh, that's a bit of a, I don't know, I could speak to our education or I could speak to our attitudes or it speak to a number of things. An interesting thing to come out before Canada either, to find that most of us, I mean, at least I'm not alone, the majority of us wouldn't pass that darn test. Uh, another interesting thing, just seeing it unfold, I'll finish up with two. I, I'm really hoping, you know, and I, I can do, I, don't know, I probably will do whole shows on it down the road, but his healthcare, it's just always ongoing. It's always big. I'm really hoping that Premier Smith is, is maintains the courage to get in there and, and reform it and do some stuff and shake that Alberta Health Services tree. And we're seeing just how ugly it's getting. This whole thing with Dr. Dina Hinshaw, now whether she was fairly traded or not fairly, I don't know. She was the the person who was the, you know, the head of a of, uh, uh, you know, the public health officer while the, the pandemic hit. None of them, that's not a good position to be in, I think, for anybody at that point. I'm sure through a lot of it, she wishes she was just back in her office in a cubbyhole somewhere at the legislative buildings and tracking, you know, venereal disease outbreaks at high school dances rather than dealing with COVID. But she got caught in the middle of it and, uh, rightly or wrongly, whatever, she got fired eventually once Smith came in, uh, Partly due to some of the actions Sinshaw did, or I think partly it was just, just followed from her doing what she was uh, told to do by the Kennedy government. But it doesn't matter, she was gone. But then we find out recently, no, she's back. She's been hired into a different department. And then they said, no, 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 that was fake. It was a fake letterhead and everything else. Well, no, it turns out it really was real. And she got unhired is the way they're putting it, because I think she never quite got started. And now a bunch of doctors are having a temper tantrum over it. <laughs> Talk about politics in our health care provision, guys. I, we, you know, the amount of noise and who hired her and, and how this is going on is just showing what a bureaucratic nightmare the health care administration and system is. What a mess. What a bloody mess. End to end. And they're all fighting with each other. Doctors fighting. Look, we need to decentralize. And this is in every province. It, doesn't, it isn't just Alberta. That's the thing that we have to Every opposition party claims that their province is the worst on the planet. Well, no, actually, if you go across the country, every province has the same problem going on. Every one of them. Because none of them will change the system. None of them have the courage to take on their own bureaucrats and unions. I'm hoping Daniel Smith will be the first one to have the courage to take that on. So yeah, it looks like a bit of a debacle with this in Hinshaw, out Hinshaw, and 100 doctors whining. And you know, it's the same 100 doctors who complain uh, as Dr. Vipond and, and others. They're all NDP members and, and uh, union supporters. It's, it's just the same old stuff and, and the legacy media feeding that crap. But either way, a little bit of chaos, hopefully, is an indication of actual reforms coming because they're going to fight Smith tooth and nail. The status quo is going to fight. And so like I've said in the past, she's got to stand strong. She's got to push back. She's got to reform that system or we're all going to lose. All right. Well, that's enough for today, guys. I've covered quite a bit of ground. I will let you all go back to your summer days. So thank you very much for joining us today, guys. And we will be back again with another guest, more ranting, more news, and all that good stuff next week at this time. So I'll see you then.
4: Here's what commodity prices are doing in Lethbridge today. Cash barley is steady at $4.20. Feed wheat is down $5.415. at 415, And corn is down $15 at $4.03 per metric tonne. In the milling wheat markets, July Minneapolis futures dropped $0.27 cents to $8.06 per bushel. With local hard red spring bid for July movement at $10.50 per bushel. Looking at canola, nearby futures fell $29.40 at 7.0990 dollars per tonne. With delivered rise for July movement at 1632 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentil prices are trading at 33.5 cents per pound, and yellow peas are steady at $11.25 per bushel. And in the cattle markets, August live cattle are higher 27.5 cents at 179.56 per hundred weight. For more information on pricing or picked-up options, give me a call at 403 394 1711 I'm Matt Busicum at Marketplace Commodities. Accurate, real-time marketing information and pricing options.
0: Canadian Shooting Sports Association, without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms, regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. We've become a member. It's absolutely worth every penny.